Good morning, Crosspoint Church, and good morning, online friends. Great to have you with us on this uh, Sunday morning. And thank you, Ashley and Tyler. Isn't it good to have Tyler? He's moved from St. John, moved back home to Fredericton, and so we have him with us. Thank you. He's a, a Henry and a brother to Jeremy, newly wed, newly married to Natalie, just one week. And great to have you here. Congratulations uh, to them. Let me give you just a very brief update. When I left the office late this week, uh, Kathy, executive assistant, gave me a little note and reminding me that cash in hand, we're just this far from our goals, just this far. And so uh, our pledges would put us over that, but haven't received some of those yet. So, and we'd love to go a little over the 20. Uh, the 20 was pretty much a, a bare bones to help us gear up for the fall. And in just a couple of weeks, you will notice the difference in uh, us gearing up uh, for this fall season. Wanted to mention just one more week of great Bible stories, and then we're going to uh, a discipleship series. Let's get serious, shall we? Let's get serious about this matter of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. So two weeks from today, a disciple sermon series on discipleship, and one of my best friends, the name many of you would know, Dr. Laurel Buckingham, will be guest speaking to kick off that sermon series. That's two weeks from today, so you might want to get that word out there and to your friends uh, to come and be sure and be part of that uh, on that day. Do you really believe, as we've just been singing, that even when you don't see him, he's working? Even when you don't hear him, he's always at work. That's such a lead-in to what I want to share with you this morning. Let's speak to the Father, and then we'll go to the Word. Father, your Word, we know it, is sharper than a double-edged sword. It's able to pierce to the quick. It was written to encourage, to challenge, to rebuke, to convict, to convince. May the word be all of those things this morning. There are some here today, some watching online, who need this word today. Would you apply it where it fits? In Jesus' name, we would pray these things. And God's people said, amen. I wonder if Moses didn't have this picture hanging in the wall of his home. Because Moses sure enough did learn how to hang in there. Well, let me tell you his story. The Israelis were slaves in Egypt, and uh, the whole nation had been carted off to Egypt, and Pharaoh was now worried that the Israelis were multiplying faster than the Egyptians, and he was afraid that soon the Israelis would outnumber them, and then perhaps they would rebel and take over Egypt. So he came up with a plan. His plan was a wicked plan. He issued an order that all Israeli babies born would be thrown into the river. Moses was born at just that time. So, so to save him, his parents made a small boat out of a basket, a basket pitched so it would float, and floated him down the Nile River. So at just three months old, 
Moses becomes a fugitive. I guess you could say at just months old, Moses was a basket case. <laughs> I thought that was a better joke than that, but anyway. It's, anyway, uh, so Moses was discovered. In just a matter of hours, Moses was discovered by an Egyptian princes who took the baby home and kind of adopted this child and raised the child as her own. So Moses at that point became a prince of Egypt. Things are looking up briefly. Years go by. Moses is aware now of his roots. He knows he's Israeli born. And one day he witnesses, he witnesses an Egyptian beating up on an Israeli slave. Moses loses it and kills the Egyptian. As a result, Pharaoh puts out an arrest or kill order on Moses. Well, Moses runs for the hills and hides. Hides for a matter of years until God calls him to return, to go back to Egypt and lead the Israelites out of captivity and lead them to the promised land. And as a result of that, Moses becomes enemy number one to the now new Pharaoh. Well, as the new leader of the Israelis, Mosley, Moses is constantly takes grief from his own people. It's a long read, but it's all, all this story is found in the book of Exodus and then in the book of Numbers. Just some of the hits that Moses took. Exodus 5, when Pharaoh refuses Moses' request that he let the Israelis go, he not only says, not only are you not going, I'm going to increase your workload. Then the Israelis complain to Moses with these words, you have got us into this terrible situation. Move ahead, Exodus 14. Pharaoh, after finally letting the Israelis go, he changes his mind after a day or so, proceeds them, uh, pursues them with his armies to the shores of the Red Sea. The people see Pharaoh coming with his armies and they say to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die? Move ahead to Exodus 16. It says, the whole community spoke bitterly against Moses. Move ahead another chapter. Once more the people grumbled and complained. Now move into the book of Numbers and you read this in Numbers 12. Even his sister Miriam and his brother Aaron criticized Moses. And then, if it's possible, things got even worse for Moses. Over the next months, Moses faced three rebellions from his own people. At one point, the people shouted, we want, we no longer want you to lead us. We want to choose a new leader, and we want to go back to Egypt. Can you imagine? They want to go back and be slaves again in Egypt. And then, if it's possible, Moses faced, faced the biggest blow of his life. Because of a disobedience to God in a rash and impulsive moment, God forbade Moses to enter the promised land. After 40 years of leading Moses right up to the river where he could look across and see the promised land, he was forbidden to enter in. And yet, through all these things that I have mentioned, Moses never wavered. He stood firm, he was unswerving, he was steadfast. So here's the question I want us to consider these next moments together. Where, where does this ability 
to just hang in there no matter what. Where does that come from? This ability to just stick to it no matter what. Why is it, you think, that other people seem to take life's blows and they go down and they stay down or they get bitter? I've seen people over the years get mad at God, mad at the world, mad at life, and live sort of a, it's like they, even though they're believers, it's like they're living with a low-grade fever all of the time. Why is that? Here's a story of a man, an American, who's in a moment, when I give you his name, you'll all know it. At 24, he lost his job, and the same year, he was defeated for state legislature. At 25, he failed in business. At 27, his fiance died. At 28, he had what was then referred to as a nervous breakdown. At age 30, he was defeated for Speaker of the House. At age 32, he was defeated for elector. At age 35, he was defeated for nomination for Congress. At age 40, he was defeated for Congress. At age 41, he was rejected for land officer. At age 46, he was defeated for U.S. Senate. At age 48, he was defeated for nomination for vice president. At age 50, again defeated for U.S. Senate. And at age 52, Abraham Lincoln was elected the president of the United States of America. Why is it? Why is it that, that some people seem to give it up and others, they just seem to have the ability to hang in no matter what. Well, first question first. Let us consider just for a couple of minutes, why is it that some people just don't seem to be able to hang in there? And I'm going to give you two answers to that question. And the first one I would suggest to you is this. Some people don't hang in there because they have believed, the words are there in front of you, they don't hang in because they have experienced bad teaching. Bad teaching. Right in the middle of the Bible is a book called Job. Job was a good man. He was a wealthy man. He was also a, a righteous man, a God worshiper. But all of a sudden, Job experienced trouble. Storms and illness. He lost 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 1,000 oxen, 500 donkeys, numerous servants. And then, then all of Job's children, seven sons and three daughters, died in one mighty storm. And then finally Job's health failed. As sores broke out from the soles of his feet to the top of his head, and overnight the greatest man in all of the East was reduced to the most pitiable. But Job had some friends, unfortunately. Some not-so-good friends came over, and the essence of what they said to Job, here it is. Job, all of this calamity has happened to you because of your sin. So Job, you need to fess up. Come on, Job, you can tell us we're your friends. Job, we all know that people get what they deserve in this life. So what terrible things have you done? You can tell us we're your friends. Hear me this morning. That's bad teaching. That's just plain bad teaching. This idea that people get what they deserve in this life, that's just, it's not true. It's bad teaching. Here's another bad teaching. God will give perfect health 
and financial prosperity to anyone who asks for it if you have faith enough. Hear me. Bad teaching. Bad teaching. Author Philip Yancey wrote an excellent book 32 years ago. I would recommend it still. One of the best on this subject that I know about. Title of the book, Disappointment with God. And in that book he writes this. Jesus promised that faith the size of a grain of mustard seed can move mountains. And that's true. He did indeed. That anything can happen if two or three gather together in prayer. Again, true. And then he goes on, the Christian life is a life of victory and triumph. That is true. But then, according to Yancey, some Christians add these words. Therefore, that's proof that God wants us happy, healthy, and prosperous, and any other state indicates a lack of faith. Yancey's point is this, that's bad teaching. It's just bad teaching. If Moses had have believed that, he probably never would have started the trek from Egypt to the Holy Land. And so I'm suggesting to you today that there's teaching inside the church today and there's teaching online today that is bad teaching. And it explains why some people take life's blows and they get angry at God, angry at the church, and they just kind of give it up. So some have experienced bad teaching and they don't hang in there. I think there's a second reason, though, why some just don't hang in there. And here it is. Some people are trying to reach higher than a person can reach. Let me help you understand what that means. Some people are looking for answers that even if they got the answer, they wouldn't be able to understand it. Let me help you. Towards the end of the book of Job, after Job's friends have had their say and left him alone, Job poses this question to God. God, why? Haven't you asked that at some point in your life? Surely you have. I know I have. Why, God, why has this happened? And in, and in chapter 38 of the book of Job, God answers. God answers, but he doesn't answer Job's question. He doesn't explain why. Philip Yancey in his book tells us why God doesn't answer Job. Here's what Yancey writes. A tiny creature... <clears throat> on a tiny planet in a remote galaxy simply could not fathom the grand design of the universe. You might as well try to describe colors to a person born blind or a Mozart symphony to a person born deaf. Moses understood that there are some things about God's decisions and why God does what he does that we can't understand. These are Moses' words. Who can comprehend, God, the power of your anger? You see, God's ways, God's thoughts are so far beyond us, we could never grasp them. So some people get stuck on the why question. All through the years, 38 years of pastoral ministry, I have 
tried to counsel and reason with people who have got stuck on the why question. And it, is, and it has, if not destroyed their faith, it's stagnated their faith into some kind of a joyless existence. They've kind of given up. So some have listened to bad teaching and others have tried to reach higher than one can reach. And now, for the last few minutes of this message this morning, two of the 150 Psalms found in the Bible are attributed to Moses. That would be Psalm 90 and Psalm 91. And when you read those, why don't you read through them later today? Psalm 90 and 91. And we, we read through them and you discovered that Moses was indeed a man who wrestled with the why do bad things happen to good people question. And yet he learned to hang in there. How did he do that? Moses, you've just heard his story, hung in there through disappointment and misfortune and opposition and hardship and injustice. And the reason was Moses learned three truths, and here's the first one. First truth, life's blessings open the door to the possibility of life's pain. Life's blessings open the door to life's pains. He's saying simply this, you can't have one life's blessings without the possibility of the other life's pains. Simple truth, but it's true. When I was just five years of age, I inherited a pair of skates from my older brother, Fred. And in my early attempts to learn to skate, I had this propensity of falling backwards and banging my head on the ice. Some of you are sitting there thinking, that explains some things about you, Pastor John. Yeah, okay. Well, anyway, I don't know as it did any permanent damage. In spite of your suspicions, I do know this, it hurt. And over and over again, I mean, this went on for days and weeks. I would just get onto my feet and think, I've got this thing down, and over I'd go, and never catching myself necessarily. I can remember seeing the stars as I banged my head on the ice, and I experienced pain. But my parents, I can remember a mother saying, John, come in here before you knock your brains out. And, and yet she permitted me, no, I'm, I want to learn to skate. And so eventually, she permitted me to keep trying, and eventually skating and hockey brought much pleasure into my life, along with some pain. Six weeks before Willow Ann and I were married, I broke this wrist and had a cast from about mid-thumb up through my elbow. Twelve years later, I tore all the ligaments in my left knee, again, playing hockey. So here's my question for your consideration. In those early years, by permitting me, to, permitting me to skate, did my parents cause my pain? Well, if you think that through, a sense, I, there's a sense in which I guess you could say yes. But by allowing me to skate, by blessing me with the skates, my parents opened the door to the possibility of pain. But that was not what they went, wanted. Do you see it? Life's blessings simply open the door to the possibility of life's pain. You can't have one without the other. Moses learned that. Abraham Lincoln learned that. And all the people who hang in there understand that. So that's the first truth. Life blessings open the door to life's pain. Here's the second. There are three. Second truth. 
Trouble is a part of every life. Life's blessings open the door to pain, the possibility of it, but everybody. Trouble is a part of life. It's just the way it is. And I take you back to Moses' words. Listen to him. Like grass that springs up in the morning, in the morning life blooms and flourishes, but by evening it is dry and withered. We end our lives with a groan. He's saying that trouble is a part of life, every life. In the first book of the New Testament, that would be Matthew, and chapter 7, Jesus tells a story that some of us sang about way back there in Sunday school. The wise man built his house upon a rock. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. And the sand house, Jesus was talking about those who ignore his truth. And the rock, those who listen and obey my teaching. But the point I want to make from that story is this. Both houses took the storm. Both the house on the rock and the house on the stand sand had to face the storm. So here's the truth for you this morning. If you are a Christ follower, don't, you don't get exemption from the storm. Sorry, but you don't. Trouble is a part of life. And interesting to me, know this, that some, my experience has been, some who suffer the most in this life are Christ followers. Life is not fair. And no place in the scripture does it excess, does it suggest that life is fair. Some years ago in a conversation with a man not a believer who had a friend who was a believer who had experienced one setback after another. And this unbeliever, he says to me, well, <laughs> he's a Christian. A lot of good has done him. Bad teaching, right? He assumed that if you sign up for the long haul, if you decide to be a Christ follower, that life will be fair to you and you'll experience the storms. Sorry, not so. Charles Allen heard him preach about when he was an old, old man, much older than I am now, heard him preach about 38 years ago. I'll never forget the message. He's written just two short books. In one of them, here's what he said. If we insist that God set up the world on an individual basis, allowing each of us one to suffer merely to the extent of his wrongdoing, then we must also restrict our joys to those we can bring upon ourselves. Look into your own life and see how much you enjoy that came through the efforts of others. We enjoy a multitude of blessings which we did not cause, and in the same way we suffer many pains that are not our fault. Some people say, You've heard this, right? What have I done to deserve this? And the answer is often nothing. Neither have you done anything to deserve many of your blessings. It's all part of belonging to the great human family. Trouble is a part of life. Believe it, accept it, and it will help you hang in there. One more truth this morning. Here it is. Third truth. Moses, this is the third trip that old Moses had a grip on and enabled him to hang in there. Number three, God will one day make everything right. One day he will. Moses says it again, those who live in the shelter of the Most High, that's you who claim your awesome privilege as being a follower of Christ. You're living in the shelter of the Most High. We'll find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare of the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. 
He is my God and I am trusting him. For he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from COVID-19. Well, actually, the actual word says, protect you from the fatal plague. Now, Moses was a little fuzzy on just when God would show up and do this. But he knew that God would come through. Now, here's the good news. Moses did eventually make it to the promised land. No, he never made it. He never crossed the river into the Holy Land. I'm talking about he did make it to the promised land, and so will you. Hang in there. Do you believe this? God is preparing a place where there will be no disappointments, no calamities, no injustice, no sickness, no cancer, no death, not ever, ever again. God is preparing a place where there'll be no ambulance is in white and no fire trucks in red and no doctors in green and no hearses in black, not ever again. God will one day make everything right. Yes, he will. You see, sometimes, sometimes, God does work to make things right in the here and now, presently. God still does miracles today. I'm speaking to people listening to me online and those of you in-house today. You've experienced God's hand, a miracle in your own life. Even when Moses was taking blow after blow, God was doing miracles through him, crossing the Red Sea, water from the rock, manna and the miracle food, the, the quail all showing up and providing a dinner for half a million people. God still does miracles today. Sometimes he touches people's bodies still today and heals them. But here's the second truth. We don't like this one so good. Sometimes God works not by eliminating our pain, but by giving us the strength to bear it for now. Not my favorite. I'd prefer the first one. Would you? Of course. E. Stanley Jones, one of my favorite authors, wrote these words. The purpose of Christ coming to earth was not to eliminate all the storms of life. He did not come to teach people how to have a good time and to avoid trouble. He came to create character. And that, begin, that begins when you repent of your sins and put your trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's when he begins to develop this Moses-like character in you. So, hang in there. Hang in there. The writer of Hebrews, New Testament book, but quoting from the Old Testament, quoting the words of God to the Israeli people this way, I will never leave you or forsake you. Hang in there. I will never leave you or forsake you. And then Jesus' words, just before he left planet earth, here they are. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus said that. Hang in there. About 50, 55 years ago, Andre Crouch wrote a song that used to be sung much in the church. And the words to it are very simple. I'm going to risk singing it, hoping that you don't leave me singing it all alone. I hope you in-house folks will join me. I hope you onliners, you will many of you will recognize this old song. Maybe you'll sing it with me. Through it all, 
through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to depend upon his word. I want to sing that with you. Would you sing it with me? And then I want to pray for you. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to depend upon his word. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to depend upon God's word. Hang in there. Let me pray for you. Father, there are those here in-house this day. There are those watching, listening online who have dif had difficulty with not getting the answer that satisfies them to the why question. And it's caused them to struggle. It's caused them discouragement. It's caused them to wonder if you're really there. And Father, I pray for those who need this message most badly this morning. I pray, Father, that this would be an encouraging word, an uplifting word. I pray for those, Father, who perhaps are hearing this today, who have, it's, it's kind of wrecked their faith, and they've slipped into a, if not unbelieving, at least a, a, a distance from you, a half angry with you. I pray for them today. Father, help us to see that not every right in this life will be wrong, but there is coming a day if we'll just hang in there when everything will be made right. I bless this people today. Apply this truth to us all. We pray in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And God's people said, God bless you.